Aloha! Welcome to Weaving Voices, Connecting Community Through Hawaii Life Stories, a podcast series in partnership with the Center for Oral History at the University of Hawaii Manoa, the Hawaii Council for the Humanities, and Hawaii Public Radio that features excerpts from the archive of over 800 interviews of Hawaii women and men at the UH Manoa Center for Oral History in the Department of Ethnic Studies, College of Social Sciences. These voices help to tell the story of the evolution of a movement one that sparked a renaissance of Hawaiian culture in the 1970s and after. It also had tragic elements, including the deaths of two of its leaders, George Helm and Kimo Mitchell. Our voices begin with Dr. Noah Emmett Aluli. He was among the first nine protesters who landed on Kahoalawe in 1976. At that time, he was in the first class of students at the University of Hawaii John A. Burns School of Medicine. Today, he's a physician in family practice on Molokai. Dr. Aluli has led the Protect Kahoalawe Ohana that has spearheaded the movement throughout the past 44 years. When I was um, on Molokai as a fourth-year medical student, was uh, meeting up with Life of the Land, <coughs> who had just stopped the sand mining at Papahaku Beach, and then came the development and, and um, Adolf and Walter and, and uh, other folks established a, a group called the Group of the Long Trails, Hui Alaloa, which is the kind of like the trails around every island. And that was an effort to kind of like uh, continue to be able to walk the trails, uh, even though it went around a hotel and, and be able to fish and gather. It was a pretty big uh, protest. Um, we got involved there, but Charles Mitch Maxwell, who was a policeman on Molokai then, um, because of the notoriety of the probably first Native Hawaiian rights, kind of like march from Hui Alaloa for access to that maybe the the group would come over and join the fishermen who kind of like were you know, needing to expand their f- fishing resource and couldn't really kind of they had a sneak to go lobby so it was a fishing kind of pro- fishermen's protest and it was also a hunting because there's a lot of goats on Kohlavi. So we land and we set up and, and um, talking story and, and um, comes the Coast Guard warning us that they're gonna, the marshals will land and they would arrest us. Meanwhile, myself and Walter just kind of like, um, just went out of sight. We didn't want to get picked up. We just wanted to make it worth our while and not just for show. We kind of like, watch the seven guys get picked up and taken back on the Coast Guard boat. And then we just started exploring yeah. slippers, shorts, um, t-shirt, uh, some water. The military was there the next day, handcuffed us, took us into their helicopter and dropped us off at uh, Kahului Harbor, I mean airport, and let us go and uh, gave us um, 
warning and bar letters, which we just tore up, saying that we should not, couldn't go back to the island. That was a punishment. George and I had been doing some research on uh, Navahi's work because his sister had Emma Navahi's diary, handwritten diary. George and I looked at it, but uh, the research we did was, was um, what they were trying to do with what they called Aloha Aina. They're the ones that uh, started uh, that whole movement. So my thing to George, what do we tell the press that we just did? He said, let's go Aloha Aina. And so that became our slogan, Aloha Aina, love of the land. Uh, uh, and to be able to figure out in modern terms what that meant. And when we go back, uh, take care of the land, the land takes care of you. Life of the land is perpetuated in the righteousness. So Aloha Aina was, was the reason why we went to Kaholawe and not just stop the bombing. And all this kind of like coming back to culture because of the rights uh, were being swept away was something that we were learning uh, ever since Hui Aloha and articulating it. Dr. Noah Emmett Aluli, one of the first protesters who landed on Kahoa Lave in 1976. It was an action aimed at the U.S. military using the island for target practice, but it grew to be something much more. It was through the efforts of the Protect Kahoa Lave Ohana that the island reclaimed its standing. Ian Lind was part of that early group of activists. He became an investigative reporter for the Honolulu Star Bulletin. He's done commentaries at Hawaii Public Radio and now does pieces for Honolulu Civil Beat. The night before, we were at a community center where we were camping, basically camping till the next morning. We were supposed to go out early. And um, people were flying in from all over. And, I didn't know many people, and I kind of wandered around listening. <clears throat> it was very clear that, you know, we were there to have this demonstration on Kaho'olawe, but everyone was there for their own reasons. They all came from communities that had their own community struggles, their own issues. The island politics were different. The communities were different. Um, uh, everybody had the beef with Hawaiian homes. and. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about what to do about that and who to get out and who to get in and what could be done. And, um, there, you know, employment, health, everybody had different, different handles on issues. And it was, it was, those were really the propelling issues, all the community issues, and Kaho'olawe just became like, um, I think, Maxwell had it right. This is the way to start the bicentennial, right? The, bi the American bicentennial is here, 1976, and we're all being bypassed, and we have all these issues um, that kind of are symbolized by bombing and destroying an entire island. So, you know, you got this. It, it, I don't think anyone there thought that Kahoa Live was, was going to just explode into a, a statewide thing. Um, but somehow it did, right? But, that, but I don't think that was what was propelling people, whether it was, you know, the trail access on Molokai and, you know, I mean, just all these local issues that all, 
everybody was burning with what's going on and, and the local issues and somehow put that energy into making this happen. I did this thing on, you know, the, the trying to criticize and critique the military's uh, position that Kaho'olawe was absolutely essential and if you didn't have Kaho'olawe you'd have to close down Pearl Harbor and all that. This was the um, part of their pitch, you know. This is, it's all about money. Um, in, in one correspondence, they, one of the um, insiders said, explaining to the businessmen, or explaining to the Navy what the pitch they had to make to the businessmen, you've got to explain, they got to feel it in the left hip pocket. You know, you've got to, they got to understand what Kaho'olawe means to their wallets. Um, so uh, and stuff like that, I was trying to address that and pitch it to people who might be, you know, might not see other issues as being so important, but might be upset if the Navy's lying about what they really needed. And we'd actually found then data showing the use of Kaho'olawe had been going down, down, down over several years. Um, even though they kept saying it was more and more and more and more important, it really wasn't. They were already phasing out much of its use. That was investigative reporter Ian Lind. He was part of the early group of Kaho'olawe protesters. Another person active in early protests was Joyce Kainoa, who was born in 1946 in Hana, Maui. She raised her family on the backside of Molokai, living on the land, farming, fishing, and hunting. She was particularly well-known for her fishing skills. George Helm was the protest group's leader at the time he invited her on the fourth illegal landing to Kohoalave when it was still being bombed. In November 2004, seven months after the Navy finally departed from the island, the Kohoalave Island Reserve Commission and Protect Kohoalave Ohana invited the early activists back to the island, and evenings were spent sharing stories of their landings. Here's Joyce Kainoa's story. She passed away in 2015. I'm a member of Hui Alaloa. From Hui Alaloa, we wear another hat, became PKO. My cousin Harry Mitchell ended up uh, coming to my house. Uh, I lived in Mapulehu, and he came in the middle of the night and came to see me and told me that he had a dream that we're supposed to come to Kaho'olawe and to protect those that our ancestors built. That's the temples. There's all the fishing cause. My family is all fishermen. Now, I'm supposed to go on my own, on my own boat. George changed the plan. He tells me, no, I don't like you go on your own boat. We're going to switch. We start going out towards Kanapo. We jump. These brothers all were starting to jump in the water. Boat turn on, going out. So we're going this bay, which I didn't know, turned out to be Kamohio. Way later, they tell us it's impossible to climb this cliff. <laughs> While we got up that mountain, you know how? I remember because I fish. A lot of times, the ancestors of before, the Lawaiya, they get makamakai. You step on the cliff, some of them, they get trails, alahele. All the shells. If you ever see opihi shell, pupu shell, all white on top, the kupunas carry, make trail, nighttime white torches. You can see them. 
You can see the trail. Full moon, you can see the trail. We did get on top of the mountain. We right smack in the target zone. So we're in the wrong place because they're going to stop the bombing again. So, you know, I mean, I can laugh now. I wasn't laughing then. You walk into the valley of death. Yeah, all you can do is put your life in Akua's hands. And we ask to walk the path for us and run straight up across. We took all night to go across. When we fly, you know the helicopter fly over us, thinking we are rocks. You know, sometimes being afraid is good for you. You become humble. Nobody knew us. We was on Kahoa Love you until George gonna let out the names. We got arrested. They flew us to here, Smuggler's Cove, which is Honokanaya. Now I'm charged for conspiracy to overthrow the United States government. There's some of us when we left Kahoa Love our lives changed a little. We took different paths. We had different missions to accomplish. I moved to Pelikunu. I still practice Aloha Aina today. This island has touched many people. You know, and so when you do something, you do it from the na'au. That's the way it is, but also puli. So this island can heal us and sometimes can do us in. When we on this island over here, you know, it all, we're all connected. We're all connected. This island is whole. That's Joyce Kainoa, a trailblazer, talking in 2004 about her memories from the early days of the protests on Kahoa Lave and her illegal landing there with others when the island was still being bombed. There is a political twist to this story that many people may not know about, and it involves local Republican politician Pat Psyche, born and raised in Hilo. She served in the U.S. Congress for two terms, from 1986 to 1990. And when Senator Spark Matsunaga passed away in 1990, President George H.W. Bush asked her to run for that Senate seat. She agreed if he would take one action, stop the bombing of Kahoalave. She picks up the story. Telephone rang. It was the president of the United States, George H.W. Bush, who invited me to the Oval Office. I have something to discuss with you, he says. He sat me down and said, this is the time for you to run for the United States Senate because there is an opening. Too bad Sparky had to go, but uh, you're the only Republican that I can think of that I can trust to take that seat and do a good job of it. I said, Mr. President, you know, it's easy for you to encourage me, but..." It's, it's a difficult race to win. This is a Democrat state. It's a very, very blue state. I'm going to need a lot of help. Then, he said, certainly I'm going to give you a hand. Whatever I can do, I will help you. Well, Mr. President, there is something you can do. He says, what is it? I said, there is a festering problem we have with the United States government and that is this incessant bombing of this little island called Kaho'olave. He says, Kaho'o what? Ka you haven't heard of Kaho'olave? The RIMPAC exercises are held there. And it was ordered by Dwight D. Eisenhower a long time ago by executive order to use it, that island, for their exercises to sharpen their horns and and I said, so it's, it's a travesty and a violation of a whole culture that's going on. The Hawaiian culture believes 
in Kahoolawe as sacred territory. Besides that, the bombing is affecting the windows, the rattling windows on the next island of Maui. And by the way, it affects Ka Ka'anapali Golf Course. Now, George H.W. Bush is an avid golfer, you know that. He says, Ka'anapali. I said, right, absolutely. It's right there on the coast. And these islands, one, one of these days, an errant bomb is going to land on Maui, and we're going to really have a crisis. So I said, you have to do everything you can to stop it. Now, I said, I don't know. The Democrats have tried for years and years and years to stop the bombing of Kahalawe, but I don't know if they've done their homework, because I did. Dwight D. Eisenhower, by executive order, allowed for the bombing. You, as president, can issue an executive order canceling that one and restore the island to the Hawaiian people. He turned around and he told John Sununu, do it. What a great slice of Oval Office history. Congresswoman Pat Psyche. She did wind up losing that election to Senator Daniel Akaka, but she forced that action on Kahoalave. We'll talk more about that in a bit, but I did want to move on to our next voice today from the world of hula. Kavika Puo Kalani Frank Hewitt started a hula halau in 1978, following studies with many famous kumu hula, including Emma DeFries and Edith Kanaka Ole. He talks about how he was drawn into the protest movement around Kahoalave. I think at that time everybody was looking, you know, not many kupuna were supportive of what was going on. Right. You know, we have very similar challenges today as we had back then. Not everybody was supportive. In fact, the, the thing we heard a lot was, you're never going to get the island back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Auntie Emma believed we were going to get the island back. We did a ceremony, and then I went with Auntie Emma. I was her kikihanai. Auntie went with me, and I knelt on the ground, and I had my, um, my uh, Auntie Emma stood behind me, kako omayana ia omakekua. And if you look at it, she has one hand, on, I think, on my back, or one hand uh, to the akua, and I did the oli, and I chanted. And she asked me to prepare some different kinds of, of things. So we took the ulu to represent the growth of the land. We took an ipu to represent the god lono, and of course, agriculture. And within the ipu, we had water, the god Kane, who gave life. That was part of Auntie's protocol. And part of it was to plant the ulu, and then with the ulu, to pour the water, to symbolize um, you know, Father Heaven and Mother Earth and their procreation with the growth and the ulu. And all of it was within the words. Yeah? Mm -hmm. All of it was in the words. So these symbolic things, those are the things. So everything had to do with the words and the power within those words. And then, you know, because of that, we got the island back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So everybody may have their own reason and understanding. My reason and understanding because of the ceremony. That was not just the physical growth of the movement, but the spiritual growth of the movement. Mm -hmm. That was the joining of heaven and earth in the planting so that everything would be pono, iluna, ilalo in the movement. And Auntie Emma guided that movement. Kavika Puo Kalani, Frank Hewitt composer, musician, 
an activist. One last voice today, and it belongs to Kaliko Baker, who teaches at the University of Hawaii and also conducts the annual makahiki ceremonies on Kahoalawe. I'd like to leave with saying mahalo to all those who have uh, put effort, put given to the Kahoalawe movement and um, to George Helm and Kimo Mitchell for the ultimate sacrifice of their their lives for the movement. And then the long-term commitments from people like yourself, Professor McGregor and um, Dr. Aminaluli and other longtime Ohana people like Craig Neff and Lopaka Iwohi. And just to, just to have the wherewithal to see, to commit to a project and see it through and talking about like a project, like it's a classroom assignment. But anyway, you know, it's such a grand scale endeavor as that is the regreening of Kaholabe. So with that, I give my utmost mahalo and aloha to all those who have come before. And hopefully, you know, I'll be around to uh, high five the next generation as I get old. Yeah, that's it. Kaliko Baker, completing a set of compelling and inspiring voices on Kaholave. For the Center for Oral History and Hawaii Public Radio, I'm Bill Dorman.